This is Rabbi Sharon Brous, Rabbi Adi Kar, where we're dedicated to reinvigorating Jewish community, ritual, and learning, all while laying the foundation for a just and loving society. You're listening to Ikar's podcast, where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our teachings, our guest speakers, basically anything we think worth hearing that we can capture and stream, you can listen to right here. The whole Megillah. I mean, literally, the whole Megillah. So thank you so much for being with us. Shabbat Shalom. When you flip through the pages of this week's Parsha, it's immediately clear, as Ziva mentioned, that the drama of narrative has given way to a less exciting genre, the listing of laws. And I'm sorry to the 25% of the room that I just offended with that comment. (laughs) Building on the recitation of the Ten Commandments last week, this week's Parsha, aptly named Laws, Mishpatim, gives us 53 of them. We've entered a new chapter of our narrative, one that frankly reads much more as a legal code than as a story. Perhaps the best known moment from this week's Parsha happens at the very end in chapter 24, when we read about a public ritual where Moses writes down all of the laws that have just been listed and reads them to the people and they famously respond, Na'aseh v'nishma, we will do and we will listen. It's an odd response, an inverted order. We'd expect them to first say, we'll listen, and then, having understood what the law is asking of them, then we'll do. In other words, we'll follow these laws based on our understanding of them. But the commentators celebrate the Israelites for responding the way they did, praising their eagerness, admiring their faith in both law and lawgiver. More poignantly, the rabbis pick up on the experiential truth of the Israelites' response. We often don't know the deeper meaning of our actions, our commitments, until we follow through on them, until we build a life of devotion to these practices. Na'aseh will follow the mitzvot v'nishma, and we'll come to understand what meaning they hold. Meaning will be discovered through practice, or in the words of our very own Lauren Buckman, will make to know. In this read, Na'asev and Ishma is the perfect response for this moment in the Torah. We're at the very beginning of accepting a new legal paradigm to live by. The foundation of the law code has been laid, 53 mitzvot added to the terms of the covenant, and there's much more to come. This story makes sense. But there's another version of the story, a stranger one, a more complicated one that I'd like to share today with the help of the great rabbinic troublemaker, Rashi. Vaikach Sefer Habrit. And Moses took the record of the covenant and read it aloud to the people, and they responded, Na'aseh v'nishma. It would appear that this event happens at the end of the parsha because, well, that's where it's located. But Rashi makes a puzzling move. He says, This section happened before the Ten Commandments. Rashi is suggesting that the Torah is not in chronological order, meaning chapter 24 happened before the giving of the Ten Commandments. Moses reads from the record of the covenant before the covenant is filled with laws. The people say, before they've been commanded to do anything specific which raises an enormous question. 
What did Moses say that prompted this response? If it wasn't all of these laws, what was it? You with me? Okay. So here's Rashi's answer. Moses read to the people gathered at the, baint, at the base of Mount Sinai, quote, the story of creation through the present moment. Mi breshit ve'admatan Torah. Essentially, he read them the whole Torah up to this point. I want you to imagine the scene. Just months ago, these people were slaves in Egypt. Their parents were slaves. No one they knew remembered life before Pharaoh. But here they were, having experienced liberation, the parting of the sea, the beginning of something new. They're ready to write a new future, build a new society where they could be free. And Moses says, wait, let me tell you a story. There used to be nothing. Just darkness. When out of the void, a voice emerged and said, let there be light, light alongside darkness. Day by day, the world came into being shimmering with new vitality, nothing too big or too small to be seen as good by God above. We lived in a garden, but not for long because life, it seems, is filled with choice. And sometimes one moment can change everything. Did you know, my people, that the first parents lived through the death of one of their children? His name was Abel. That pain never goes away, and we can't ever stop telling their story. We come from Abraham and Sarah, who late in life knew that something else was possible, that the truth that they had lived by wasn't the truth they were called to. They left it all behind to build something bigger than themselves, to bring blessings into the world. But you know, it wasn't easy. Have I ever told you that Abraham had a child named Yishmael? And he was kicked out of his father's home. A whole nation came from him, but maybe with different choices, he could have been part of ours. There was Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Esau, beautiful love and bitter rivalry. We, we got our name from a wrestling match. Seems like that's who we're meant to be. Do you know how we got to Egypt in the first place? How Joseph was sold by his brothers? How he saved our people through times of famine and drought? How we became slaves when Joseph was forgotten and fear of the other prevailed? I don't have to explain to you what it felt like to be slaves. You remember that. But now that you're free, I ought to remind you how your bones ached and your hopes faded, how you debated whether or not to bring children into a world of suffering, how we left in the middle of the night, how we stood at the water's edge, how we danced and sang and were finally free. This is our story. And the people responded, we will do and we will listen. And then Moses went up the mountain to receive the law. Na'asevenishma, in Rashi's telling, is not a response to law. It's a response to story, to our story. No detail spared, the shameful alongside the admirable, the backsliding together with the progress. Abraham in his moral greatness pleading with God to save the innocent people of Sodom. 
alongside Abraham and his tragic silence, lifting the knife against his son. We'll, we'll do something with our story. We'll listen to it. We'll learn from it. We'll seek to understand the traumas we've experienced, the triumphs of our resilience. We'll carry this story with us into the project of creating a new society so that every law we fashion is shaped by the hard-earned wisdom of our story. Story before law. Agadah blossoms into halacha. That's Rashi's sequence of how things happened. But I think Rashi might be wrong. And the reason I think that is because had the story been told before the law, the first four laws of Mishpatim wouldn't be about keeping Israelite slaves. They would have been about abolishing slavery. Hearing the story of their own degradation in this crucial moment would have generated a more compassionate, a more just law. And so we're left with a legal code that sometimes remembers the wisdom of our story and sometimes ought to remember it. But in a sense, Rashi gets the last laugh. Because regardless of the sequence of the events in the Torah, we read the story before we read the law. We read Genesis before we read Exodus. We read liberation before revelation. And that becomes a lens and a tool for us to see and reshape the law in accordance with the wisdom of our story. Because make no mistake, law concretizes the values of a society. It shapes the contours of who advances and who is left behind of whose life matters and whose does not. Law can be the agent of discrimination, the justification of violence, the denial of dignity. And so too, it can be a force for good, a stepping stone to higher ideals, but law needs a conversational partner. It needs story. If law is the ground upon which we stand, Story must be the water that softens the soil, the water that splits open caked earth so that something new can emerge. When law leaves story behind, it runs the risk of disregarding the human beings it's meant to protect. This has been the reality of far too many women and people who need abortion access in the last year and a half since Roe v. Wade was overturned and law became a tool for violence. There are too many stories to share of women denied their reproductive rights, prevented from accessing the care that will save their lives. Too many stories of frantically traveling out of state to receive an abortion of women being forced to carry and deliver a fetus that they knew all along wouldn't survive. Too many stories of a pregnant person's body and soul and future endangered and dismissed by the cruelty of law. Too many stories to turn away from them. And so here I want to share with you one 
with the prayer that story can be the catalyst for reimagined law. After five months of in vitro fertilization, multiple surgeries, and an early miscarriage, Blair Nelson got pregnant on her sixth MBO transfer. Blair and her husband were overjoyed, but a routine 12 week, at a routine 12-week appointment, they received the devastating news that the fetus had limb body defect, meaning all of the fetus's organs, including the heart, were growing outside of the body. Blair and her husband live in Texas, where multiple bans prohibit nearly all abortions with no exceptions for cases of fatal fetal anomalies. They packed their bags and traveled to Colorado to receive care. But during her procedure, she began bleeding, and the doctors suspected she had a placenta accreta, a potentially deadly complication. Blair had to choose between removing her uterus or a risky intervention to stop the bleeding, which thankfully was ultimately successful. Blair's doctor later told her that the placenta accreta likely developed in the month-long delay it took for her to find care out of state. And had she been able to terminate upon diagnosis at 12 weeks, this complication wouldn't have happened. One story among many. One story dotting the map of the 21 states that now ban abortion or restrict the procedure earlier than the standard set by Roe v. Wade. We must tell their stories, your stories. Tell them on the way to the ballot box, on the way to amending state constitutions, on the way to enshrining the right to reproductive freedom for everyone in this country. Let these stories soften our hearts and strengthen our resolve. Let these stories guide us to action and move us to fight for law that is just and wise. Shabbat Shalom. Hi, it's Rabbi Brass again. Thank you so much for listening. Want more content like this? I hope you'll subscribe. And please consider making a contribution to Ikar so we can continue to work toward the fulfillment of our mission, to reanimate Jewish life, to embody moral courage, to nurture the spirit, and to work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Visit our website at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And I hope to see you, maybe even in person, sometime soon.